informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we head into the big holiday weekend. Farm Progress Show behind us now. Hope you enjoyed our coverage the last three days from that big show in Decatur, Illinois. Today, we're going to take a look at uh, several things. Uh, We're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. See where we're at heading into this last big uh, summer holiday. Uh, We're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, still waiting for the big announcement from the administration on what they're going to do with biofuels and how they're supposedly going to uh, make things right, make things better uh, after all the concerns have been raised about the small refinery exemptions to the RFS. So we'll see what Jeff Cooper is hearing. Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will be joining us, get his thoughts on the trade deal with Japan And, uh, of course, we'll talk other trade issues like China and USMCA as well. Speaking of China, though, we're going to start things off today with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thank you for joining us um, to investing in dredging operations in Argentina. Give us the details on that and how that impacts the United States. Well, this is something that the Chinese have been engaging in for a number of years, and they've been making quite prolific investments in a in a wide range of countries, all with the focus of being able to secure and make more expeditious their their food supply chain. And they've been doing this in Brazil and for a number of years on a host of different areas. And one of the things that has come to light as of late is the Chinese inquiry into and, and likely pursuit of, of investing in deepening uh, the Paraná River in Argentina, which will help uh, allow them to secure particularly soybeans more efficiently than they currently are. And so it's, it's something that, you know, they're, they're clearly showing that they've got a, a strategic mindset. They're looking long-term. Um, and so then the question is, are we going to look long-term as well and try to make sure that we're investing in our own infrastructure? I guess one question I had, would this have happened anyway, or was this maybe in part because of the trade war between the U.S. and China, and China sending a signal, hey, we're going to, we're looking elsewhere, and we're taking these steps to assure that we have a supply of soybeans other than from the U.S.? Yeah, we've seen this behavior over the past number of years, you know, before uh, this this trade impasse between the U.S. and China occurred. But what I think the, the current stalemate and the current friction has has resulted in is really putting a lot of adrenaline into this effort. And so there's been a lot more urgency uh, that you've seen with the Chinese to to explore other ways of securing their, their protein needs for their livestock industry besides the United States. And what really concerns me, and this kind of goes back to my, my concerns all along, is that the long-term consequences of this trade impasse uh, are, going to be, are going to exceed the short-term consequences, as unpleasant as these short con- short-term consequences are. Because when you start seeing the Chinese make these investments in, a, in, in the infrastructure of their countries, when they start making systemic changes to how they feed their livestock, 
even if you have a grand agreement between President Trump and President Xi of China, uh, once these systemic changes have been made, it's not like the, the market for the U.S. soybean industry is going to snap back like a, like a rubber band. So that's why we're just seeing continual evidence that they're ma- the Chinese are making these systemic changes. And once they do that, they're going to use it, and they're not, and and that doesn't really bode well for the future of our ability to export to China like we did years ago. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So China is investing in infrastructure in Argentina. The question is, how much will the U.S. invest in our own infrastructure? And there are some great needs there. You know, absolutely. You know, so the the Chinese are willing to explore channel deepening in Argentina. Is the U.S. willing to explore channel deepening in the U.S.? And you know, we just we we continue to fall victim of you know really short term thinking, and we need to have more of a strategic investment kind of mentality. Uh, one of the projects that would provide significant benefit to the U.S. soybean industry, to corn to a host of other industries is deepening the lower Mississippi River near New Orleans from 45 feet to 50 feet. That's the number one export region for U.S. soybeans, for U.S. corn. It's the number one port region in terms of volume handled in the United States. So with all of the the, the energy products, the chemicals, agriculture that all have facilities that populate the lower Mississippi River, if you want to provide a benefit to a host of these industries then make that critical link in our supply chain more efficient by deepening it. That's something that we would really like to see happen. So, you know, as the federal government, they're looking for ways to enhance the the soybean industry. You know, obviously and rightfully, there's a lot of discussion about trade policy, about renewable fuels policy. Those are very important. We also need to make sure that transportation policy is included in that. That's a that's really part of the mix as well. If we want to have profitable farmers, we've got to have an efficient way of getting those products to their market, whether it's a domestic customer or an international customer. And as we've talked before, U.S. soybean farmers are stepping up and making an investment. Yeah, you know, the, the United Soybean Board has agreed to invest $2 million to help underwrite the cost of deepening the lower Mississippi River. And again, that's 60% of U.S. soybean exports leave from that region. And I think soybean farmers really need to be applauded and commended for doing that. You know, during this time of market turmoil and instability and uncertainty, the temptation would be to pull back, to be timid in investing in your in in the industry and soybean farmers are saying no this is the time to lean in to be more aggressive um and so that's what this two million dollars is reflecting soybean farmers are really showing that they're stepping up to the plate we hope the federal government will as well what are you hearing from the federal government what's coming out of washington right now well there's a lot i mean obviously there's a lot of uh, you know kind of turmoil and that's kind of the <clears throat> the new normal but, you know, I, I do think this message is really, you know, cutting through. Uh, I've had some really good, um, you know, discussions both on Capitol Hill with the Army Corps of Engineers, with the administration about this very project, with leadership in, in Louisiana, because uh, the state of Louisiana is a big partner in this whole project. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's no such thing as an easy lift when it comes to Washington, D.C. and the federal government. But this is something I think we do have some momentum on. And if the federal government wants to show that they can do something comprehensive and seismic in terms of infrastructure, 
proved to us that they can do something individual. And here's a specific project that could be done, would provide significant benefit to the U.S. economy, particularly agriculture. I hope we embrace that opportunity. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. We'll stay in touch. Thanks for keeping us up to date. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So what do we know about this deal with Japan and what will it mean for the U.S. beef industry? We'll talk with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now to talk ag issues is Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore. Dale, how are you? I'm very good, Mike. I, I heard Rusty's update on the markets, and it's nice to hear at least a little bit of positive news kind of coming yeah. back in after we had a rough start to the week. We need some positive news for sure, and I guess that's a good place to start because it seems like most of the news in agriculture right now is negative. What are you hearing from your members across the country? Well, it's that uh, ongoing series of, of frustrations of how difficult it is to get some of these trade issues sorted out. You know, there's a lot of appreciation uh, you know, expressed relative to the president and Secretary Purdue's efforts to provide some trade assistance authority on top of, you know, getting the new farm bill implemented, getting uh, the process on the disaster bill. Those, you know, a lot of work going on at those FSA offices trying to help folks out. But man, what we would really love to see is some resolution. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Have you or a loved one used Roundup Weed Killer and been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? You may be entitled to compensation. Call 800-966-3316. In an August 9, 2019 Bloomberg News story, it was reported that Bayer AG is proposing to pay as much as $8 billion to settle more than 18,000 lawsuits, alleging its Roundup Weed Killer was responsible for the plaintiff's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Strict deadlines may apply, so call 800-966-3316. That's 800-966-3316 for a free case review today. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612.
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk about the U.S.-Japan Ag Trade Deal with Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, this was certainly welcome news, but as you have taught me and reminded our listeners, you can't get to, too far ahead on this. You don't want to get too excited prematurely. you got to wait till it's all said, done, signed, sealed, and delivered. We're not quite there yet, uh, but what do we know about this deal and especially what it would mean for U.S. beef if it goes through? Well, you're exactly right. We're we're not there yet. We're getting pretty close, but we're not there yet. And so, uh, we're hopeful that the these negotiations will conclude. We'll see a final agreement signed uh, at hopefully around the end of next month at the UN General Assembly in New York. And so we're you know we're we're pretty optimistic uh, because it, this is not a conversation that just started. These are conversations that have been going on for years. And actually, you know, if we're going to get into the details of everything, it goes goes before uh, this bilateral conversation. So there's already a lot of groundwork that was laid. And so hopefully this will finalize a lot of those little, I'd say, not insignificant details, but usually the hardest things are left to the end. And so hopefully in the next few weeks we'll see this uh, really finalized and then be able to move forward. But for us, the big concern is that if this is delayed, uh, then that's it's going to just kind of put us in a, a an uncompetitive situation where, you know, we haven't been losing our shirts in the Japanese market, uh, you know, by having this tariff disadvantage uh, to the TPP countries. But uh, it does create a bit of uncertainty. So, you know, for us, we want to see uh, the obviously the massive 38.5% tariff reduced uh we want to be on par with all of the other countries and and really have a level playing field and if we can do that then i think we're going to take significant market share from the australians the canadians you you go down the line because we have a quality product and if we can have a competitive price then that'll mean everything in the world to us so in regards to japan would this deal, from what we know or have seen of it so far, would it get us to where we would have been had we stayed in TPP? Well, you know, they haven't published the details yet. But I think I think the goal is to try to at least get to that point. And the administration has been clear about that, that, you know, TPP is a good starting place. And then from the Japanese perspective, you know, they're saying we're not going to do anything more than TPP. So that that's where a lot of the predictions have have kind of focused is that it would be within that TPP range, but the devil's in the details there because you can address the tariff, but if you if you don't address uh, safeguards, you don't address non-tariff issues, things like that, uh, then that could actually make us less competitive. And so I, I think that you know any deal that the administration puts forward is going to cover all of those angles, and I feel very confident in their ability to to hammer out an agreement simply because the, it's not just that we need the Japanese market. The Japanese market needs us, and they need to have the United States as uh, can, to continue to be a strong ally 
Uh, Japan doesn't have a lot of friends in that part of the world. They need strong access to the United States. They need to continue to be uh, closely aligned with us. And uh, it, and so there are bigger forces uh, that, that will play to our advantage on that. But time-wise, you know, we need to see this move as quickly as possible. And I, I, I know the administration certainly understands the need there. Just the pressures in uh, the farm economy right now, we need that, that big shot in the arm uh, with access to the Japanese market. So I think we can see this move pretty quickly uh, once all these details are finalized. Just going to be kind of a nervous time until it's finally signed and done, right? Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it goes, and that's you know we've seen that with with other agreements in the past. It, you can get a, an agreement in principle, but you still got to get it over the line. And depending on how this moves forward, uh, if it is a deal that the administration can implement without having to move it through Congress, uh, then that would be. You know, that would obviously be great because, you know, unfortunately, Congress uh, doesn't move quickly on anything, and we don't want to see this become uh, a political casualty in the next year. And uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, they've talked about having a two-step agreement where they would have uh, some some bilateral terms uh, that would address agriculture and some other things, and then move towards a larger trade agreement uh, and negotiate towards that. Uh, we'll see how that happens. Uh, we'll see how this unfolds. I, I still think Congress is going to want to have its hand in the process uh, at some point in time. But everyone agrees that we need to nail down uh, better market access with the Japanese as soon as possible. And I don't think Congress will want to get in the way of that either. We're talking with Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, talking about Congress, when they get back now from this August recess, do uh, you think they're going to be ready to move on a USMCA or does this drag out through the fall and right up till I kind of have been saying I think it'll be the last thing they vote on before they head out for the holidays. But uh, how do you see this pre- uh, proceeding now once they get back? Well, well, Mike, I hope you're not right on that. But, you know, given the track record of Congress, that could very well be the case. Uh, yeah, I think there is there's certainly a lot of bipartisan support. Uh, the momentum will be the the big thing there. There've been, you know, Congress has been relaxing for the last few weeks. They've been recessed. They're going to come back, you know, uh, after Labor Day, uh, week after Labor Day, and 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 really try to uh, come in and address a few things. They still have some spending bills that they'll have to vote on, uh, but USMCA is still a uh, a top of mind issue for both parties and in both houses. And uh, you know the speaker has been very clear that you know she would prefer to see this move uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, and we know that uh, we know that USTR has been trying to work with House Democrats to uh, address some of their concerns. And we'll see we'll see if they've been successful. But I, I think that uh, there hasn't been any cold water thrown on USMCA. It's just you get a little lull coming out of the August recess because. Uh, just like going back to school, you know, when you're used to uh, you used to you know be able to sleep in a little bit or or maybe relax or, or go on vacation, uh, you know, you got to build that momentum back up, and that's the same thing with Congress. So uh, I'm I'm optimistic that we'll see some movement. Uh, I hope this isn't something that gets pushed into next year, but the only way to make sure that doesn't happen is to keep the pressure on Congress. And so uh, if people are, are seeing their elected officials over the next few days, especially with all the Labor Day events 
and the state fairs, then now's the time. And keep up the pressure and let them know that we got to move on this as soon as possible. Meanwhile, people getting excited again because it looks like the U.S. and China will talk. Uh, we've been down this road many times before. What do you make of this latest development? Well, you know, we've, we've always taken the uh, cautiously optimistic approach with China, and, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, China does. Uh, China can move quickly when they need to, but I don't think this is necessarily one of those situations. You know, this is a this is a much bigger negotiation than just trade. This is about uh, two major economies uh, battling not only for a leg up in uh, in global trade, but also trying to be a global leader on a lot of issues. Uh, and uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, trade is is definitely going to be a sensitive topic for quite a while, uh, but I think that we've made progress. I think that, you know, if these talks can continue and if uh, and if and if cooler heads can prevail, and, and I think both sides want to see some kind of mutually beneficial conclusion to this, that would be good for us. You know, keep in mind, this is a potentially $4 billion market for us if we can get the access that we need, if we can address these barriers, and we're just one part of a much, much bigger puzzle. Uh, that has to come together. So uh, it, I, I don't know that we're going to see something resolved overnight. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I think you know this bumpy road is going to continue for a little while longer. All right, Kent, thank you very much. And uh, we'll look forward to this uh, Japan deal getting done, signed, and sealed hopefully soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Still to come on today's show, later we'll talk with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Uh, we keep hearing there's a big announcement coming on biofuels from the administration. Secretary Purdue talked about it this week at the Farm Progress Show. President Trump has been tweeting about it. We're still waiting for details. We'll see what Jeff is hearing, and we'll talk with Jeff Cooper a little bit later on and get the latest on that and what they're hoping will be in the announcement. But up next, the markets have a lot of news to take a look at and uh, kind of sort through as we head into the holiday weekend. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Get his market outlook next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you 
can prevent wildfires. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Corn is a bit higher an hour into the trading session on Friday and looking for its third straight higher finish to end the week. Optimism over the potential for another trade talk meeting in September with the Chinese appears to be driving grains Friday along with a so-called giant package proposed by President Donald Trump to boost biofuel demand. So far, there are no details on that package. September corn contract up three cents at 362 and three quarters of a cent. Soybeans are continuing the correction from the low set on Wednesday. The nearby contract up six and a fraction of a cent at 862 and a half cent. Heavy rains with some possible flooding are moving through Kansas, Oklahoma, and eastern Missouri to begin Friday with up to three inches possible in some areas improving soil moisture ahead of winter wheat planting. The nearby Chicago wheat contract down 15 and three quarters of a cent at 454. Kansas City wheat September down 11 cents at 376 and a quarter of a cent. September Minneapolis spring wheat up a penny at 480 and a half cent. In cash cattle country, a few deals have been reported in parts of Kansas at $103 per hundredweight, $3 lower than last week's weighted average. On the Board of Trade, August live cattle down $0.87 cents at $104.77. September feeder cattle down $1.15 at $132.25. October lean hogs are down $0.87 cents at $64.02. In the outside markets, the Dow is 89 points higher. The NASDAQ composite is up 18 points. The S&P up 11 points. Crude oil in New York is down 96 at 55.77. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, a lot of news for the markets to look at going into the uh, holiday weekend. Let's talk about it with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, good to talk with you and quite a bit happening from crop progress or lack thereof in some cases, or at least a slowdown, weather concerns. Of course, uh, China talks, uh, a, a Japan deal. What's going to happen in biofuels? Still waiting for the announcement there. So a lot of different things for the markets to look at. Uh, there really is. And, and we did hit some technical objectives uh, over the past week in the corn and soybeans. And so that, that, 
kind of dried up the selling for now. A uh, little bit of consolidation in here. We're going into three-day holiday weekend. We've got possible talks with China. Uh, we've got uh, President Trump boasting about a big ethanol deal. You know, so those who have big short positions thinking, well, crop reports coming up soon. Well, maybe USDA will show her smaller yield. Maybe Trump will come up with something. Maybe we'll have talks. Maybe we take profits on those short positions. I don't see any big change in sentiment, but this is, gives a good reason for some consolidation in here going into the weekend for corn and soybeans. Lots of maybes, lots of hopes, lots of anticipation, just to short on details. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've if you're a speculative short and have big profits been riding these short positions down, then that gives you some incentive among the unknowns to maybe take a little bit of those uh, profits home with you for the holiday weekend. When we come back from the holiday weekend, the focus really starts ramping up on that the next crop report, right? It really does. This will be the first crop of the year in which USDA's yield estimate will be based off of surveyors actually walking the fields. And so I'm anxious to see what that number is. My confidence in it will still be low because we look at the last crop progress report, it showed that 26 million acres of corn still had not yet reached the dough stage or in, in either the blister or the milk stage. Uh, and 16 million acres of soybeans had not yet started to set pods. So USDA is still going to be hindered and unable to really know how much the late maturity is going to impact yields. should have a better feel for that by October, um, but we'll be watching what's the trend here. How much does USDA lower corn and soybean yield estimates and by how much? I anticipate it's going to show good crops in Iowa and Nebraska. It would be a big surprise at a market mover if they did not, because that's where the strength of this year's crops is. Um, but outside of that, how about the rest of the Midwest? And so we'll be looking for hints of trends there in that crop report. But until told differently, as you've pointed out to us before, the markets are going to assume not a great crop, but at least they're going to assume a good crop until they see something that tells them differently. Absolutely. The funds have, have made a lot of money shorting or selling the ag commodities since May, late May of 2018. They will periodically allow prices to, to rally as they cover shorts um, when there's headlines justifying something, but nothing has happened over that time period to really cause them to change their conviction and build a lot of length or ownership in this market. And I don't see anything changing that until or unless we have a significant threat to supply that has been documented to convince them of such and or we get something big to happen on the demand side, which, would, you know, the most likely thing on that end would be like a trade deal with China or something like that. Depending on what we get uh, from the administration on ethanol, can that be a market mover? Oh, it can, depending on what it does. Now, uh, politically, I, I kind of cringe the, the amount of boasting that President Trump is doing um, because farmers are so angry with him. Um, he better come through here with the amount of boasting he's doing and what kind of program it is. Um, because if he disappoints in the scope of the program, it will communicate to farmers that he's just that much more out of touch with what's important to them. So, um, 
you know, and maybe he does realize it, and that's why he's boasting because he does have a big program. I, I don't know. But, yes, it could be. Certainly need something to boost these margins, particularly with the high prices many of these processors are having to pay. We talk about how the funds have been making money shorting the commodities. They have actually taken the board much lower and have and painted a much more bearish picture on the board than what the cash market indicates. And that's one of the major stressors of these uh, biofuel processors is that the cash market is reflecting a, a much more friendly fundamental supply and demand fundamental than what the board is. And so that's really squeezed their margins. Talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And, of course, uh, the other story, watching these temperatures and the concerns over an early frost. Yeah, and I don't see anything really on the horizon that suggests that we have an early frost, although as we were on a conference call with our various offices on Wednesday of this week, um, our offices up in the northwestern Midwest and Minneapolis were saying if we get a – if we get a frost before Halloween, we're going to hurt this crop. Um, so that's really sobering. Um, so we've got a long ways to go there. But I'm really concerned about the low temperatures. Uh, looking this morning at the temperatures, uh, seeing a lot of mid-40s to mid-50s across the northwestern half of the Midwest. We've already seen some 30s in the northwestern Midwest, uh, particularly I know in Wisconsin and elsewhere. Um, those types of temperatures communicate to corn and soybean crops. You better hurry up and make a crop. Hurry up and mature um, if you're going to make it. And that causes corn that's not yet in the dough stage to abort kernels on the end to tip back further. And it causes soybeans. Uh, it inhibits additional pod set, which this market is counting on a lot of late August, early September pods. So that's a real concern for the northwestern half of the Midwest. On trade, good news. It looks like a deal with Japan, although it's not signed. We don't have all the details, so that's not a done deal yet. But um, I almost thought there would be more reaction to it than there has been. Have you been surprised that, that it's been kind of quiet, maybe just because it's not signed yet? The market has become very skeptical of promises of demand. It wants to see actual demand. Even at times when things were less threatening with China, uh, it grew wary of promises that China was going to buy commodities. Um, so the trade deal with Japan not being completed yet, the market is very skeptical of that. I think it is very significant that we it were able to allegedly or reportedly get tariffs matching the the Trans-Pacific Partnership level of tariffs with Japan. Japan is such a critical market. We had built a lot of loyalty in Japan over the years, and if we could match those tariffs, that should help keep and, and get back some of the markets that we had before with Japan. And that's very significant, uh, particularly for wheat and for the meats. I think that's going to be important, but also for corn as well. All right, so it looks like there may be some talks coming up with China, so that has people excited again. But uh, as I've said many times, we've been down these roads before. Uh, we talked earlier with Mike Steenhook with the uh, Soy Transportation Coalition about the story that China is looking at making significant investments in dredging projects in Argentina. Uh, now, maybe that was going to happen anyway, but it almost sounds like that's a they're uh, sending out another signal to the U.S. Hey, we're going to be looking elsewhere 
moving forward for our soybeans? China does not want to be beholden to anyone, and this has certainly helped to reinforce that. I think they had that before and while they were investing in Brazil's soybean production previously. And then last year with the trade war and not wanting to buy any U.S. soybeans and, and uh, Brazil not able to fully provide all their needs, they're seeing what else can we do. Now, purchases from Argentina. Uh, Argentina has quite an investment in crushing facilities. They've looked at soy meal and approval in the soy meal, talking to our people in China who are in close contact with people in the crush industry. The expectation is that China is doing this as a fallback, as an alternative, so that if they don't want to buy from the United States and if Brazil runs out of soybeans, at that point, then they could resort to buying soybeans and or soy meal from Argentina. Certainly always open to buying soybeans, but even soy meal if necessary. Otherwise, they don't want to throw their soy meal or their crushing plants that they have in China under the bus. But is this not another uh, sign of what many of us have, have been concerned about all along since this whole situation with China started, that we are going to basically open the door for others to ramp up uh, production and business with China at our expense? Well, uh, we're moving in that direction. I think it's it's debatable um, what was the initial cause agent. You know, I think we saw China moving in that direction already anyway. I think you can make a valid argument that this trade war has sped up those efforts. But I see signs that they were moving in that direction anyway. Why? Because we are the superpower of the world. China has stated they want to be the superpower of the world. And uh, to do so, they would rather do business with others rather than help us. And uh, it's just within their philosophy and, and in their value system. So I, I see evidence, strong evidence, that they were moving in that direction anyway. I think in our battle to try to slow them down, one of the un laws of unintended, unintended consequences of trying to slow them down in their superpower status seeking is that we have pushed them faster along their goals that they were moving toward. All right, Arlen. Good talk with you. Have a good weekend. You too. Enjoy it. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Well, as he said, the president has promised big news for the, uh, the biofuels industry. We're still waiting. Let's talk about it next with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. What is he hearing and what is he hoping will be in the announcement? We'll find out next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, let's get an update on the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. Joining us now is University of Illinois plant breeder, Dr. Brian Deers. Brian, thanks for joining us. I was just thinking in this year with all the crop production challenges, SCN is another challenge, a profit robber, a yield robber that uh, sometimes flies under the radar, just not as obvious, not as uh, easily seen uh, as a, a weather event. That's absolutely correct. Here in Illinois, where we have very good soils, we often will have losses from SCN, and people won't, won't see any above-ground symptoms. Plants will look very healthy, but yet there will be losses due to SCN. What you can do is just take soil samples, send them to a testing lab, and they'll at least tell you whether or not SCN is present in the field, and they'll also tell you how big of a problem it is. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me 
Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Secretary Purdue told those at the Farm Progress Show this week there's a big announcement coming from the administration for the biofuels industry. President Trump was tweeting about it, but we're still waiting for details. Let's see if we have any details yet. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, joining us now. Jeff, have you heard anything? Well, not a whole lot, Mike, beyond uh, the the... The tweet heard around the Corn Belt uh, that we saw from President Trump yesterday, and, and we continue to uh, find out what we can from uh, folks that, that are involved in these conversations, uh, but the details are pretty sparse on, on what exactly is in this uh, giant package uh, that President Trump referred to in his, in his tweet yesterday. Um, you know, for, for us, we continue to say that the only thing that is going to keep more plants from, from shutting down is to send a signal now that EPA is going to prospectively redistribute any small refiner exemptions uh, that it knows it's going to give out in, in the 2020 RFS rule. Uh, so that, that remains our top priority, and, and we know that message is being conveyed to the White House loud and clear by, uh, by farmers uh, and, and by uh, you know, our champions on the Hill and, and others. Waiting till 2021 as there are some have uh, speculated would be the case that's too long to wait right well it is i mean it, it you know first of all it it, it kicks this uh into or you know past the election um you know epa wouldn't be required to publish a final rule for 2021 rvos until november 30th of of 2020 so uh by that time uh you know we will have gotten past an election and and all bets are off right so uh so and you know more important than that though is just we we can't afford to wait another year uh to address this small refiner exemption issue i mean we've we've seen the impact of these exemptions on our markets over the last year uh we certainly can't handle another year with these sorts of of conditions um, that we think are absolutely traceable to the, you know, to the uh, first round of, of exemptions that was handed out early last year. What's go- what makes it even more interesting to see what's coming out is the fact that we know the oil industry is pushing the administration hard not to make any changes. They like getting these waivers, obviously. Right. Uh, and the president has shown an inclination to uh, uh, to come down on their side on a lot of these things. So it, you know, this. This effort that he's made, this attempt to walk a fine line down the middle and keep try to keep both sides happy, which has not worked very well, it just makes this even more interesting to see what he's going to come out with here. Well, it does, and, and EPA has, has put the president in a real pickle. Um, they have not done him any favors, and I think he is, is recognizing that now. And, and, you know, based on what we're hearing, he's he's not very happy with – 
the advice that he was getting from EPA and, and some of his advisors in the White House around these exemptions. And, and I don't think he was quite uh, prepared for the reaction uh, that he's been uh, getting uh, to these exemptions. I, I think you're hearing lots of anger and frustration from uh, farmers and, and from the Corn Belt on this issue. It, it seems like this may have been the straw that broke the camel's back and, and kind of, you know, the one more setback in a, in a big, long line of setbacks for uh, rural America. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how the president plans to, you know, put the toothpaste back in the tube on this one. It's, it's going to be challenging. So the announcement, we learned the news about those 31 new waivers on a Friday afternoon, and here we are, a, a Friday ahead of a big, long holiday weekend. Do you expect to get the announcement today? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, we'd, we'd been hearing uh, earlier this week that something was imminent and and that there was uh, the expectation that would have an announcement of some sort this week. Uh, you know, based on the uh, on what we're being told uh, yesterday, uh, I, I'd be really surprised if we heard anything official uh, today, Mike. Uh, it does sound like there's still some uh, wrangling and, and debate and discussion around some of the key elements of, of this package. Uh, and, and one of those debates being, um, you know, should we do reallocation in 2020 or in or kick it, you know, kick the can down the road to 2021? Um, you know, we we understand EPA is is pushing back on on addressing reallocation immediately, even though their own interagency review process and and the White House OMB and and other reviewers, you know, told them they ought to do that um, in the 2020 rule. They decided not to. Uh, and and they're you know uh, still still resistant to, to doing that it, it seems uh, so I think there's still some details that need to be worked out some some discussions that need to happen uh, so I'd be real surprised if we hear anything today. We're seeing the economic impact of what's going on right now with the the, the decisions by EPA and the RFS, um, but the president now looking at the political. Uh, impact of this as well and basically by his tweets and what we've heard from secretary purdue he's uh he's ramped up expectations so he really needs to deliver well that's right and and i think the message from farmers has been very clear uh over the last week or 10 days that that hey uh we're we're upset we're angry we're frustrated um we, we you know i think everyone was shocked by the announcement on August 9th that, oh, you know, here's another 31 exemptions after we'd spent all summer, um, you know, making sure that the White House and this administration understood that we can't, we can't handle another year of this. And, and you know, the, the last round may have been Administrator Pruitt going rogue or whatever the case may have been. We can't afford to, to, to do that again. Uh, so I think everyone was shocked uh, and, and felt, you know, somewhat betrayed. Uh, when we got this announcement of another 31 waivers on on August 9th, so um, you know it is going to be interesting to see how it all turns out. But you know I think the key is is farmers need to keep the heat on, uh, keep the pressure up. We saw just yesterday the National Corn Growers Association sent a letter to the president, um, you know, making the point that we can't wait till 2021. We need this issue fixed now uh, in the 2020 rule. So we'll see what happens, Jeff. Thanks. We'll stay in touch, and when it comes out, we'll get your reaction. Thank you very much. Sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. That wraps it up for today and for the week. Have a great holiday weekend, everyone. Be safe. 
Thanks for being with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.